0: You think about the traditional front three, including Camilo and they were close to each other and
1: they just seem systematically right now
0: they were not
1: clicking. Subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app. Now, Saturday night in Jeddah saw Alexander Usyk beat Anthony Joshua by split decision to retain his World Heavyweight title belts, the IBF, IBO, WBA and WBO versions thereof. One man who was ringside for the whole kit and caboodle on Saturday night was Gareth A. Davies, I'm delighted to say, has arrived back fresh from Jeddah. Gareth, how are you doing?
0: I'm very well, Richie. Thank you. Uh, took a bit of recovery. I think we got back to the hotels at about six in the morning after proceedings, very late press conferences, and then as most of the, uh, the travelling world circus media circus found it was a 24 hour journey back pretty much overnight in Doha and and uh, Deria and different places um, but it was, a, it was a fantastic experience very fascinating place but an intriguing night and maybe a chastening night for Anthony Joshua being beaten three times in the last five fights now and maybe a difficult night for him in terms of the emotion and the meltdown, as it's been call, called. And, you know, my my feeling is very much it's it's a very deep and frustrating realization that maybe it's going to be very difficult for him to climb to the summit in this era of heavyweight boxing.
1: Uh, on the venue itself, like a lot of it was made of in, in the lead up because obviously there's been a hell of a lot of talk around sports washing, Saudi Arabia, Live Golf, their involvement with Newcastle, et cetera, et cetera. What was the place like itself in terms of its ability to host a sporting venue? Were there any, uh, I guess, worries from many people going in there about covering the fight there? What was your sense of all that kind of stuff?
0: Well, having worked in about 40 countries, Richie, in 30 years and traveling with my parents all over the world, probably 100 cities I've lived in, some countries I've lived in for a period of time, Poland, China, parts of Africa, America spent a lot of time in. Um, I like to go to a place with an open mind and not carry the agenda the Western media are trying to give you the whole time and I found the people there very similar to people I met when I was in China back in 1989, Iran in 98, parts of Africa where they're more fascinated with you than you are with them Mm. because they don't know your ways and Islam has been around a long time and there's a way of life there that's very different to our way of life. And we, I think we, atrocities aside, Jamal Khashoggi aside, you know, women's rights aside, I think people, individuals, don't decide the society. And generally when you travel around a place, they're fascinated in where you're from and what it's like where you're from. And so there was all of that. And that was really nice and very warm and very welcoming. I think they're getting used to, as you call it, sports washing. I don't really know what sports washing is. It's a term that we've made up. Um, I think they want to liberalise their country, and one of the ways of doing it is bringing arts and culture and sport from another part of the world. I think the people we're dealing with are the liberals there, you know, who want to try and make change. 70% of the population are under the age of 35 in Saudi Arabia. Um, And I think the young people, as they are in everywhere in the world, are hungry for change. I think some of the sports events going there will change things. I think the World Cup in Qatar may help to change things. Um, I found it a fascinating experience, if I'm honest.
1: The move towards sporting events and obviously having it as a, a host center for all of these kind of things, whether it's boxing, whether WWE and their contract there, or other you know entertainment avenues like it it is a project 2030 thing from the government who are also you can say responsible for some of the atrocities that you mentioned there like it's a deeper and longer conversation than we probably have time for here it's a
0: very deep conversation it's a global issue everywhere it's gangs governments are gangs your own government have their own gangs you know i mean we're just talking top line when we talk about sports washing it's deeper than it's just headlines isn't it at Mm -hmm. the end of the day you know
1: listen we'll move on to the fight itself what was your assessment of it because I think a lot of people going in said this was you alluded to it there make a break for Anthony Joshua because it was going to be if you lost it three defeats in five uh, fights and that's a record that's kind of hard to shake off in terms of having a stink around you uh, in terms of your ability to compete at the very top level Um, and lost he did and Alexander Usyk for any question marks about his differences in weight classes etc etc he's underlined his status as a top class heavyweight here
0: yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I wrote a piece on, in the Telegraph on Tuesday. You know, I did a lot of broadcasting for Talk Sports out there and, you know, trying to give as honest opinion as I could about, I thought it was a 7-5 fight um, in rounds. I thought Anthony Joshua had a brilliant ninth round when he clearly hurt Yusik, certainly what you saw when you were in the arena from a few rows back. Um, and uh, I'm sure people were on the edges of their seats back home because it looked like he might be able to finish Yusik in the ninth round. He got caught out by the clever Cossack, box of tricks that um, the South boy and got outboxed again, uh, twice in a row. And I think, you know, we saw the meltdown from from Joshua saying, you know, like, I'm the bigger bruiser and he is the bigger bruiser, but he didn't outbox the Ukrainian twice in a row. He made a better effort the second time. And I think the emotion and and the meltdown and the petulance was the was the frustration that he's not going to get a chance to fight Tyson Fury. I know we'll come on to that in a minute. but. Yeah you know, that he's not going to get a chance to fight for the undisputed belt now, at least have the hope of winning it. And, you know, in a private moment with a few of us, maybe just two of us, maybe myself and Spencer Oliver afterwards having a chat. Um, and Spencer, who I've known a long time and whose career I covered till he had his brain hemorrhage and had to leave the sport and who who's very close to Anthony, probably went overboard by saying, you know, you were winning that fight. And he was, I think, till the ninth round, but he got out of box. And I think the. the Joshua was kind of saying to the pair of us that that there's an element of frustration in him because he had a very short amateur career. In in a way, 36 amateur fights, won the super heavyweight gold in London at the Games in 2012. And then he was fast-tracked, wasn't he? And he's weirdly, incredibly wealthy beyond his wildest dreams, but maybe a victim of his own success and kind of lamenting the fact that he wasn't, in the sport younger than 18. If he'd taken it up at the age of 10, you know, and had found the sport, then he probably would be a different boxer now Mm. and maybe have a different physique as well. Um, And I think the problem for him is that Alexander Rusik and Tyson Fury are clearly the top tier in the division. Yes, there are some great fighters coming up, the likes of Jared Anderson and Jalilov. Um, who's just come out of the, of the games in Tokyo as super heavyweight champion? Who's emerging at the moment? Who are different types of boxers? They have that heaviness in their hands <laughs> and they have the skill set. Anthony is still a great commodity as a prize fighter. And I think there's, you know, a Deontay Wilder fight out there, a Dillian White fight. Um, there's maybe a Tyson Fury fight in the manner of Mayweather and Pacquiao. Maybe it'll take place. Late in their careers, maybe when they're past their prime, they both realise there's still money to be made because there's a rubbernecking audience to see them in the ring, so there's still prize fights out there. Finn, but to, to he slid down the snake because he's got to climb the ladder again in, in that old snakes and ladders game. It's a long way to the top from here. Yeah, and maybe doesn't possess the skill set to do it, Richie.
1: That that's, that's That was probably going to be my next question in the sense that if he does have a longer amateur career there's probably more strings to his bow in terms of how he's able to untangle a fight. Right. And that is something that has clearly been lacking because you can get to that ninth round where you're leading, but then when you get into the trenches of 10, 11, 12, and you're trying to pull it out of the fire, you might necessarily have the same skills available to you that someone like Usyk, who's like amateur record, is just like, it's phenomenal in terms of numbers. And um, But you're able to really skin a cat several different ways if you have that background behind you. If you don't, and you have been fast-tracked, and there are reasons behind that, and that's fine, but well, if you don't have them, you're kind of screwed.
0: Yeah, I mean, 335 wins, 15 losses for <laughs> Yusick in his amateur career. And I suspect 10 of those losses were in countries where the judges were always going to go against him anyway. No. And you could see it at the end. Usyk was going into rhythms that were, were volume punching. And I, I, I know we're going to talk about Tyson Fury here in a minute, but yeah. Tyson Fury wasn't wrong. I mean, I'm very <laughs> often accused of being you know, very pro Tyson Fury, but he knows his boxing. And he and I have a very professional relationship, you know, I spent a lot of time around him, but you know, we talk business, you know, and he's right, he knows his boxing. And 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 Yusuke in those last three rounds was tip tip tapping a little bit. And he but he was scoring and he was taking the rounds away from Joshua. It was clever. That's what boxing is, hit and not be hit. Um and he did that time and time again in the fight. This was Joshua's I said it all week last week from Jeddah Saudi Arabia. This was Joshua's woulda shoulda coulda moment. And he didn't, and he wouldn't, and he won't. And it hasn't happened for him. He, he narrowly, he was improved, he narrowly lost the fight, and he's just got to come to terms with the fact that he's an extraordinarily successful human being, but he's not the very top of the tree athletically in boxing IQ that he wanted to be in this era. Yeah. You know? Um, people, look, it's weird, look, look, you can even look at it like this. When you look at Mike Tyson retrospectively, we all know that he was a wrecking ball. He might have destroyed Muhammad Ali or any great in his moment. But what happened to him, he was an an amazing wrecking ball in the late 80s. But after that, he wasn't. And he was vulnerable. And those vulnerabilities were exposed. And we all have our time. It's why Tyson Fury is talking about walking away now. If he doesn't fight Alexander Usyk, People will always say, but what if Usyk had beaten him? Because Usyk, if he beats Fury, in my view, becomes one of the all-time greats, giving away six inches in, in, in height, three stone in weight, um, five inches in reach. If he beats Fury on points or stops Fury or knocks Fury out, I don't think he will if he's got a chance against Fury at some points. Usyk enters the all-time greats because because Fury is one of the biggest problems anyone's ever seen in the heavyweight division. So it's you, you've got to look at the perspective of history. You've got to look at the breadth of those things. You've got to look at a time when someone is utterly dominant. And I think four or five years ago, when Joshua fought Vladimir Klitschko, I think this performance on Saturday night, weirdly, and the Klitschko performances are probably his two best performances. Because he showed something in this fight. He Mm. came very close to beating the trickiest opponent outside Fury in this era. So, you know, in many ways, I think you've got to look at Joshua's very best, in my view, was that Klitschko win five years ago. And that's the fighter he should have stayed and been. Doesn't matter if he loses three times or five times in his career now. Muhammad Ali lost five times. Um, it's how he comes back from this. And that I think we'll see a man with the shackles off, frankly. I think that outburst, I think, you know, the, weight of, the there's a lot of weight of expectation on him and I think a lot of pressure on him. I don't care what anyone says, pressure does count on you. And it, and it does, you know, in those moments when you've got to deliver, if you haven't been able to find that or you've come up against the serendipity, the anti-serendipity of someone who's got your number, there's nothing you can do about it.
1: On the Fury thing, I uh, want to play a bit of audio for our listeners as well. Tyson Fury was asked uh, by your colleagues on TalkSport, talk Jim White and Simon Jordan, about the prospect of a fight with Alexander Usyk.
0: Presumably you respect Usyk, right? I don't. I don't respect him. I don't think he's a great fighter. I think he's a struggling fighter. And I've seen more excitement in Morecambe on a Friday night than I did. <laughs> you
1: know. Well, I'm not surprised if you're hanging about there, yeah. But what did you, make of, what did you take away from the Joshua Usick fight, Tyson? I didn't, I didn't take anything from it. Without being disrespectful to Joshua, he, he, he was what he was. He found his level. Yeah. And he's, he's come up wanting at top level. He's lost three of his last five fights. So clearly he's come up wanting at high level. But I didn't think it was a... I didn't think Usyk landed a worthwhile punch in 12 pounds, tick tap bull. He couldn't knock the skin off a rice pudding.
0: Give me a comment about AJ's legacy as, as you see it. <laughs> I see it as it's
1: in tatters at the moment. Tatters. It does feel like we have missed out on the Fury Joshua. I guess the build-up probably would have been better than the fight, um, judging by, I think, Joshua's performances from the last uh, year or so. But on the Usyk potential for, uh, for a for unification by here fight here Gareth. How much? how much should we read into the deadlines and, you know, get my offers in to my lawyer by September first and all this kind of stuff from Tyson Fury. How real is that? Uh, how much bluster is that? And what are the genuine prospects of this happening? Because ultimately, you know, politics has gotten in the way of several fights happening over the last decade or so and it feels like this could happen again, uh, whereby politics could deprive us of uh a matchup like that.
0: Well, I think the 500 million is the, is the is the kind of the anti-statement, if you like. I mean, that's ridiculous, frankly. I mean, if someone stumps up that, then they're going to make a big loss because it's not going to do that money in numbers. But don't get me wrong, I'd much rather have seen um, Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua anyway. Like you say, the build-up would have been amazing, but yeah. Joshua always had a punch, a chance against Fury because he's become more aggressive late in his career and he is more open uh to being hit but um it's fury being fury he's pulling the psychological wool over our eyes you know um he knows is the history of boxing well enough to know that if he does walk away without facing you and he really only needs to beat you now and he can walk away as truly the king of the era um as the man that beat the man that beat the other man that you know um uh, but it, it's a it's £150 million fight, in my view. If someone puts up £150 million, the fight will happen. They've got to get a, they've got to get a wriggle on to make sure it can happen in that mid-December, 17th of December period, if they're talking about it being on the night before the final of the World Cup in Qatar. Um, anywhere in the region would be great, because people have only got a two-hour flight to the event. They could do it in a big stadium, I suppose, or they could build a stadium for it. We could easily get 60,000 there if they built a stadium with a roof. They seem to have that capacity to be able to do that kind of thing. Um,
1: How realistic is it, though, that it will happen?
0: I think it will happen. Okay. But I think, I think you know, Fury, Fury's demands are unrealistic, certainly for the fight to be signed by next Friday. I mean, in, you know, in eight days' time, it's nonsense. Mm. There's too much, you know to be signed off if they get an agreement in principle that'd be fine but um you know they need the saudi arabians or whoever it is in the middle east to come up with that amount of money and he's got they both got to agree it you know we understand that both fighters the protagonist earn around 50 reportedly 50 million pounds each for that fight on saturday night but 75 million each is is pretty good fury can dictate the terms you know he's got this kind of um element to him that you know that he, he, he doesn't he doesn't really care what happens and he may not he could walk away i mean knowing him as i do he could work walk away and not care about it and it wouldn't bother him what people say forever because there's enough people out there who say he's already the king of this era um i personally think he's got a notch missing and that's Yusick. um i think the fight will happen and if it if it they've got to go into camp remember as well mm-hmm. so you're thinking about um, mid September, mid October, mid November. They they want eight weeks. They want it done by the first of October at the very latest. Um, if it's going to happen in December in the Middle East, uh, but I reckon it'll probably spill out over into next year. Um, I'm optimistic that it will happen, but I'm I'm not necessarily optimistic that it'll happen this year, Richie.
1: The Middle East is obviously going to be Fury's Avenue here. The The travel ban to the States is is still in place, I believe. How much has that impacted his decision to go on or not? Um,
0: I don't know about that. Um, I don't know about what interviews are going on behind the scenes, what appeals have been made to the US authorities for different people. That whole situation within the sport is very complex as you well aware, mm. being from Ireland. Um, it's a very complex scenario in boxing. Um, and you know, that's the situation, I think that will t- maybe take two or three years to, to play out. But obviously, given what you just said, the likelihood is that Fury's fights are either gonna be here. I'd love the fight to be at Wembley Arena, but that won't, at Remby Stadium, but that won't be till, the earliest you can do that is April next year, given the weather. Mm. Um, you know, there's no roof, you could go to Cardiff earlier, um, uh, you know, so that's that's viable in the winter. But I just think the money's in the Middle East, you know, so I think, you know, I, I just think that's just the favoured place for it to take place. I mean, Frank Warren yesterday ruled out that it would happen in the UK this year, and if it does happen in the UK next year, it'll probably Wembley Stadium, um, you know, April onwards.
1: Is that what makes kind of Joshua's defeat, I think, all the more galling? Like. We need to take the factor in Fury can't not being able to go to the states at the moment. The United States, with Deontay Wilder being pushed down the the pecking order, seems to be kind of deprived of heavyweight boxing at the moment. Where by you alluded to the Mike Tyson era, there it used to absolutely dictate the terms. and Vegas was the go-to place, or maybe Atlantic City. Whereas now it's kind of stumbled down the pecking order, and there's a different hierarchy in place here, and that Saudi Arabia and the Middle East will call the shots. But the converse to that is that you don't have. Outside of Joshua and Fury, I guess for different reasons, marketable fighters like Alexander Usik is almost like a, a marketeer's not necessarily worst nightmare. You can tie in the war stuff to that, but he's not. He's not going to give you the same spiel leading into a big fight no, as Tyson Fury is. Yeah,
0: yeah he doesn't say anything unless you sit down for forty minutes with him in a deep interview. I think less is more with him, and I just think he likes it that way. No, it's been shifting for a while. You know big heavyweight fights only happened in america because tyson fury and bob Aram and frank warren had a deal with with espn and he was fighting over there but and he became a star over there but the, 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 look five of the top 10 heavyweights in the world are from the uk anyway so joe parker's over here deontay wilder should get his butt over here from alabama and fight in in europe because there's five massive fights and they're not interested in heavyweight fights in america you know, they're just not interested. So forget going west mm. at the moment. It's just not I now. Mean, I'm going to Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez in, in Vegas in September. But really, apart from that, I think that's the first time I've been there this year, you know. So, um, you know, I was, I mean, I'll say in the past, certainly before the the COVID pandemic lockdown, I think I was probably traveling to America every month.
1: You had a suite over there, didn't you?
0: <laughs> I did. I
1: did. <laughs> Okay, Gareth, thank you so much for joining us this evening.